second week in a new series that we're calling Hark. Uh, really what it is is a way to talk about the Christmas story through the lens of the messengers who came and proclaimed the message. These are the angels, uh, as we call them, messengers of God. Something that we, as we talked about last week, sometimes have trouble uh, acknowledging, believing in. Maybe uh, we do believe in them, but it's still a little weird to us to read about an angel of the Lord appearing somewhere. And we talked about some of that last week with uh, the message that we need to believe that God does work in the world. Zechariah, a priest of God, a faithful, righteous person, was encountered by an angel and was uh, not believing like many of us have trouble believing. And yet, the message did come true. And today we're looking at the angel Gabriel, same angel, appearing just a few months later to Mary to tell her of the coming of the Messiah. So we're going to be in verse 26 of chapter 1. Let's read this together. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived and is in the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am your I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. We have a one-year-old puppy um, named Lincoln. He's a Vishla, if you're familiar with that breed. And uh, Lincoln is, is well-trained. He is very well-trained. I know because I trained him myself. I watched about... 30 hours, I'm not kidding, uh, I get into these modes where I just kind of get focused on one thing, and I watched like 30 hours of video training, I trained this dog, uh, it was, we got him right at the beginning of, of the quarantine, the lockdown, and, and so we had some extra time with some canceled meetings, and so I watched all this video content, and I spent a few weeks training him hard. He is an obedient dog when no one else is around. One thing you can't do during a pandemic and you're training a dog is to well socialize them. Uh, that's kind of the whole point of staying in, right? So I was not able to get him around as many people, and so uh, the social training didn't really come. And so whenever there is 
a new person in his life, a new circumstance, uh, then all of the training goes out the window. Maybe that means he wasn't trained well in the first place, and I'm not very good at it as it turns out. But uh, his obedience is circumstantial. It's re- if, if he's in, in the comfortable environment, if he's in a non-new setting, then he is a perfectly obedient dog, truly. But put him into a new setting, and everything changes. I think all of us struggle with circumstantial obedience, meaning we want to be people of faith. Uh, many of us in the room have professed the name of Christ. We would say, I'm a Christian. I want to follow after God. We want to uh, obey him with our lives. We know that to be a Christian means that Christ is Lord and therefore he tells us what is good for our lives and we bow our knees to him and we want to follow that. And on the whole, We do follow it, even if we're not a Christian. Most of us want to be right or good or to do the right thing with our lives. But you give us a new circumstance. Put us in a new place. And we're going to struggle with that. We're going to struggle to obey sometimes. Give us a an illness. Give us an uncertainty. Give us a hard child. Give us an impossible seeming work situation. Give us something new, then suddenly our obedience becomes harder. Our control over our obedience can flee pretty fast. That's why we want to to sit at the feet of Mary today and honor her and learn from her because she is obedient in this situation that is far beyond, it is, to say it's new is, it's the most new thing that's ever happened. It's the only time it ever happened. The Virgin conception, the immaculate conception, to be placed in a situation where she is going to be totally out of control. Totally new. A million emotions, objections, fears flooding through her mind. But at the end of the day, she says the exact right response of obedience, doesn't she? Verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We want to learn from that. We want to honor that. Is it okay to honor Mary? To learn from Mary? Um, that's, a, that's a historical question that many of us wonder about because in our tradition uh, and in our kind of stream of thought, which is we are a Reformation church, we come from a Protestant uh, Reformation perspective to say that we want to honor Mary is, makes us a little uncomfortable, right? Because there are some traditions out there that, that say prayers to Mary and that worship Mary, um, and we are not going to do that. We worship God alone, and this story is about Christ coming into the world and the promises of God being fulfilled and it is focused on that. But today I want us to look at it with a little bit different perspective and to learn from Mary because it is okay to honor her. She says in fact that every generation will. 
in her prayer later, her song that she burst out, she says, every generation will call me blessed. And in the passage, we're told that she has received a special favor from God. And she was given that favor to respond with the obedience that she does. And she's clearly meant to be honored here as the foil to Zechariah, who we saw last week. Zechariah was given this new circumstance, even though he was in the temple of the Lord and was supposed to be in the presence of God and yet doesn't respond with faith, obedience, or courage. And here, Mary does. Just a quick note before we dive in to say something. When I say obedience, uh, a lot of us can hear a, a term that is it's like a finger pointing at us. Like maybe, maybe I didn't help by opening an illustration about a dog because I definitely do point my finger at my dog. But um, that's, that, that sense of obey, like you better do what you're supposed to do. And truly, sometimes that is the case in the Scriptures. There's times in our life and in the Scriptures when God how can I say this, kicks his people in the hindmost parts into doing what they should be doing, right? Sometimes that is true, and some of you need to hear, pull away from whatever it is that you're giving your life to, whatever it is that you're pursuing, and you just need to hear God calling you away from that, to obey him, even if it's hard. But I, I love the gentleness of this passage, the, the way that Mary her obedience is so gentle, it's almost like a release, isn't it? She doesn't say, great, <laughs> I'm going to follow you and this is so easy for me. She says, let it be. She releases control of her life in this new circumstance. Here's what I want us to see today. I want to talk about how she was able to do that. and The reason is the favor and the grace of God. The favor of God enables us to release our hold on our own lives and offer them in obedience to Him in any circumstance. The favor of God, His grace, that's going to be what we arrive at at the end. It's not that Mary is supposed to be honored just because she was a special person. She was given this favor from God. The favor of God, though, enabled her to release her hold on her own life and to offer it to him in obedience, even with the circumstances. And we learn the same this morning in any circumstance. What kind of circumstances are we talking about? That's what we're going to talk about now. First, the first circumstance that Mary was in was she was in a humble circumstance. Humble circumstance. And this is where God meets us if we're going to obey him. So there's lots of parallels. I already mentioned a couple of them. With this passage, uh, Mary receiving the news and Zechariah receiving the news of John the Baptist, there are many parallels and some crucial differences. And I think we're meant to see both. So the parallels were uh, the angel Gabriel is in both of these passages. He comes to both of these people. There is some kind of miraculous conception. Elizabeth, being barren and in her old age, conceives. And Mary, of course, being a young girl that has not known a man, this is an immaculate or a miraculous conception. There's two babies born. They're cousins to each other. They become the two greatest men the world has ever seen. Scripture tells us that. There's two responses of how. How is this going to happen? 
followed by a confirmation from Gabriel telling them exactly how it will unfold. But there are some big differences in the passages, and those differences are primarily in the differences of circumstance. Look at verse 26. Let's look at the circumstance of this passage. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, so this is the setting. It's way different from Zechariah. Zechariah was in the temple in Jerusalem, in the center of religious life, being a priestly family, being a man of God. And this is in Galilee. It's north of Jerusalem. It's in the country. And Nazareth, a tiny town. There's a saying that we're told in Scripture about Nazareth. When Jesus is identified as coming from Nazareth, it said, what good can come out of Nazareth? That's the kind of town we're supposed to envision here. It's a no-nothing, do-nothing kind of place. And who is the person that it comes to? It's not a priest of the Most High God. It's not a faithful person who has served the Lord all of his life like Zechariah. It's Mary, a girl. We don't know how old Mary was. Many speculate that she was 12 or 13 years old, probably was the case. That's the average age we know from some writings in the early testamental periods that this would have been a young girl. We don't know how old she was exactly, but this could not be further from Zechariah, the old faithful man. Mary, a girl from Nowheresville. This is who we're looking at. It's okay if the journey song pops in your head. (laughs) Just a small town girl, right? Living in a lonely world. Contrasted to Zechariah. And yet, Mary's response is the faithful, brave, and obedient one. Even though she's of humble circumstance, and she knows it, what are the first words of the song that she sings later After she believes this, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on my humble estate. She knows that this is something that is completely of grace to her. She has no right to this otherwise. This is the circumstance she is in. And if you want to be obedient to God, you recognize that this is the circumstance that you're in. You are of humble estate. You don't have to be a person of position. You don't have to have a certain age, a certain level of maturity. You don't have to be advanced in any way for a couple of things to happen. For God to work in your life, A, and B, for you to respond with faith and obedience. Your obedience is not tied to your maturity or your progress. In fact, Progress, riches, knowledge, position are often the greatest hindrance to obedience, aren't they? As we saw in Zechariah's case. And so we learn from Mary. We say, I am of humble estate. I remember that whatever favor you show me, whatever way that I can give my life an obedient fragrance to you is because of you coming to me in my 
humble estate. And whatever the outside shows, whatever the bank account shows, whatever the dress shows, whatever the attractiveness shows, whatever the charisma shows, every single one of us are spiritually poor. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So Mary, in her humble estate, offers her obedience, her humble circumstances, but these are also fearful circumstances. Mary's reaction to the angel is pretty much the same that everyone has in Scripture. She's just terrified. Look at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. She's greatly troubled. And in that fearful circumstance, Gabriel gives her two comforts uh, for her fear. He says, first, don't be afraid because God's shown you favor. That's what he says in verse 30. You found favor with God. But also, that she should take comfort in the plan of God. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so the angel speaks to her in her fear, and he says, don't be afraid, God's shown you favor. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But he also says, don't be afraid because you're part of the unfolding plan of God. What is happening now is tied to the throne of David. It's tied to the house of Jacob, this God who you believe in already who you know from the Scriptures, who from a young age you've heard the stories. The God who favored Eve with the son of promise, Seth. Because in the story as it unfolds, there are two lines, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And these two things go on throughout the Old Testament. And Mary would know about this Eve who had the promised Seth, who then, the same God who favored Rebekah with a child, who favored Rachel with a child, who favored Hannah is now favoring her cousin Elizabeth and is coming to her and saying, He is at work within you. His plan. I'm not sure if, if Mary was able to obey that command right away, to not be afraid. Probably not in the moment. Probably took a while. But she was at least given the paradigm and basically what Gabriel was saying is this, truly, what is there to fear if, there is a God who unfold, if there's a God who unfolds every story? And the same God has loved you and shown favor to you. Don't be afraid. We don't just have um, humble circumstances and fearful circumstances. These are also mysterious circumstances. Mary asks the obvious question in verse 34, how can this be, since I am a virgin? Not sure exactly why her question versus Zacharias was a faithful question. Maybe it was in the way that she said it, or the way that Zacharias said it. God discerned their hearts. This was not a question that came from a place of unbelief. She truly wanted just to know how this unfold, will unfold. And the angel tells her how it will unfold. Verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
That clears that up, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh, is that all? (laughs) The Spirit of God will overshadow me. How does that work? She asks one question. The angel gives her, and it's mystery upon mystery. And by the way, this is happening to your cousin Elizabeth too. And she shouldn't be having a baby, but she is as well. And it's just this mystery upon mystery. But she's told that nothing will be impossible with God. Obviously, if these things can happen, then nothing else would be impossible for him to do. Think about the information overload. No one, including myself this morning, is going to try to explain to you the intricacies of the Immaculate Conception. It's a mystery. It's an unfolding of the plan of God in His special providence. But the information that Mary receives, that the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow me, and I'm going to bear this child. It's not going to be any child. It's going to be the Son of the Most Holy. It's going to restore all of the things that have been broken. He's going to sit on the throne of David. And you think about that information overload, and in view of that mystery, doesn't it make her obedient response even more astounding? See, obedience doesn't require full understanding. It doesn't. How many times have you wanted that to be true for your child, to get that? (laughs) It doesn't matter what you thought was a better way, child. It doesn't matter. I want you to listen to my words, right? I want you to do, I want you to take my perspective. I don't want you to go your own way. See, in parenting, we want our children to embrace some mystery, don't we? You can't see it right now, but this is a bad choice for you. This is not good. It will not lead to you flourishing or being happy. You can't see it, but I can see it. And I want you to listen even if you don't understand. Of course, to the extent that you do understand, we want them to understand. It's not like we want to remain in mystery beyond them and say, like, I, you know, just do what I say. And don't question me. That's not, of course, what we're talking about. To the extent that they do understand, we want them to seek to understand. We want them to grow in their understanding. But if they can't grow in their understanding, we want them to what? Grow in trust. Mary, of course, does not have her questions fully answered. But she trusts. Let it be. According to your word. There's no way that she could understand what was going to happen to her. And yet she released her life. These are also shameful circumstances for her. We need to be sure to mention what is glaringly not in the text. But is nonetheless true as we see it unfolded throughout Scripture. Where is Mary's concern for her safety and her reputation. Do you really imagine that she's not thinking, what are people going to think? What is Joseph, my betrothed, going to think? Do you think she's not preparing for the assumptions that people will make and the whispers that they will whisper about her? 
we know that even though this was undoubtedly hard for Mary, this was part of the humiliation of Christ. We think about the humiliation of Christ, this is a theological term, and the exaltation of Christ. Part of the humiliation of Christ was to be born of a virgin and to suffer that scandal that Mary shared in. We see it in little ways throughout the Gospels. Little hints, little innuendos, little assumptions that people would make about Jesus and about Mary that would say, hey, we know that the circumstances around your birth were a little questionable. People don't come right out and say it, not even in Scriptures. But you see them in passages where the fatherhood of Jesus is questioned. This is part of His humiliation, part of the humble estate that He was born into. There's no doubt that Mary and Joseph had to deal with those whispers, maybe even outright shame and humiliation. She bears the shame, the whispers and the assumptions. And there's no hint here that that clouds her from releasing her life to the plan of God. Now, we've been honoring Mary this morning. Learning from her. It's appropriate for us to do, I think. But how was she able to do this? How in the world could a 13-year-old of humble estate possibly have within her the means to release her life in this way? It's because of the gospel. It's because of the grace and the favor of God that she is able to release her life. That's how. Look at verse 28. She's called what? The favored one. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Look at verse 30. I love the passive nature of this. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It's not so much that you're an awesome person that God has identified, but He has favored you. He has shown you grace. He has visited you and given you the strength and the ability to release your life to Him. Mary was not looking for this and Mary did not earn this. God gave it to her. The gift of obedience through His own favor. Do you know that you have that same Grace and favor from God given to you or available to you. The favor of God shines on us. If you know Him, or as the Scripture says, rather, have you been come to be known by Him? That passive, that He has shown you favor. Are we God-bearers like Mary is called? She's called the God-bearer in many traditions. We don't have that privilege. Our privilege is much greater because we ourselves become the offspring of God by faith. Christ becomes our brother. What does it say in John chapter 1? He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We ourselves are born of God by His grace and favor. We have been let in. We are heirs. What does Romans 8 say? If you're children, then you're also heirs according to the promise. You've been given everything, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 1 says, has been given to us. The favor of God rests on you if you believe in His name. And if you have received Christ, it is only because God has shown you favor in your humble estate, in your spiritual poverty. He has raised you up like He has Mary here. And our response should be exactly what Mary is. Mary doesn't say, my soul is so glad because I am great. And finally, someone notices it. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He's looked at my humble estate. He has raised me up and every generation will call me blessed. And we are a generation that are called blessed when we receive the grace and favor of God. And speaking of angels, the Scripture says, by the way, this mystery of salvation is something into which angels long to look. So even the messengers themselves are jealous to see the salvation and how it unfolds for us. The mystery. His favor enables your obedience, enables your release of your own life. And you can say with Mary exactly the same thing let it be. Let it be according to your word. I know, as it has been for me several times, if I said it this morning, you're probably thinking of Paul McCartney when I say let it be, right? The Beatles song. Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, he sings, let it be. What's interesting about that song is that it was written um, by Paul McCartney, and there's a lot of mystery around how he wrote that song and what was the inspiration. His mother's name was Mary. And so he originally said that it was, the song was written in a vision that he received from his mother, a dream. His mother came to him and told him everything was going to be okay, and he wrote, let it be. But then later there was another story. There's a guy on, on their crew of the Beatles named Mal Evans uh, who said actually Paul was wrong about that. He wrote it because I told him the words, let it be. I came upon Paul McCartney as everyone was doing in the 60s. He was just meditating off in the corner and I spoke, let it be over him and he wrote the song and originally he had uh, Brother Evans or um, whatever the, that guy's name was in the words instead of Mother Mary. We know what the inspiration for that song was, right? They've denied, the Beatles have denied that this passage was the inspiration for that song, but there's no way. Even if it was on a deep subconscious level, he was referencing this Mother Mary who says, let it be. And of course, the song is about release, release of the control of your life. Whatever circumstances exist, And she teaches us that faithful response of obedience. So the question is not, will there be fearful things in your life? The question is not, will you not realize how spiritually poor and impoverished you are? The question is not whether some other circumstance will come up that will be hard for you, that will cause shame, that will cause pain. The question is, 
whether we will open ourselves to God in those circumstances and let it be according to His will. I'll close with this. I was just reading and rereading this passage this week, and um, one of the things that I noticed about this is that Mary gets answers to her questions, but she doesn't get her tensions resolved. If you think about it. It's not as though when the angel Gabriel said, do not be afraid, Mary was instantly calm. It's not as though when he said, here's how it's going to work, spirit will overshadow you, you, that she instantly understood. Oftentimes the scriptures themselves answer our questions, but they don't solve our tensions. The only way for us to have all of our tensions resolved is for us to be God or for everything to be made right. Isn't that what we're doing right now in Advent? Isn't that what we're talking about? Isn't that what we are hoping for and longing for? The fact that we need this celebration every single year is because we have tensions that are not resolved, because we want certain things to be true of our lives that aren't true, that we have longings, that we have fears that we have grief over people that we lose and there's just this sense of emptiness and a hole there there's a tension and it's interesting that Mary even though she receives answers to her questions it's not as though all the tensions are resolved she has her whole life to live under this burden I often meet people who say that they aren't Christians anymore um, because Christianity had questions that they couldn't get answers to. Or they, Christianity didn't answer the questions that they had. And I wonder if that's true. Oftentimes we do get answers. It's just that the tension isn't resolved. Maybe you need to say something to someone. You're afraid that that you're going to hurt their feelings, but you need to say this to them, but you're afraid that you're going to lose the relationship. What does the Scripture say? Speak the truth in love. That's an answer. Does it resolve the tension? Isn't there still tension there? How will I know if I've gone too far? How will I know, you know what, which words to say? The Scriptures don't solve all of the tensions. You can't solve the tension, but you can get to the place where Mary was by the grace of God. Where she was open to Him. Even if she didn't understand. Even if she didn't fully get it. Even if she was afraid. Even if she was thinking about the shame. Even if she didn't fully know the answers to her questions or the tensions resolved. She said, let it be according to to your word that's the faithful response that's the release I have these tensions but let it be let's pray